Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, November 19th. Before we get to my conversation with Crack Rackets' very own Matt Stokowiak, as well as College Tennis Ranks' Chris Hallioris, continuing our College Contender Series, previewing the teams you need to know the most about heading into the 2020 men's tennis college season, wanted to briefly touch on, of course, the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the day. Now, it's a quiet week on the tennis front. ATP World Tour Finals in the books. A lot of the challenger action done for the year. There's very little to talk about. Of course, we still have college tennis, and that's why Chris, Matt, and I get together later on in the podcast. But we do have a little Davis Cup action this week, a renovated Davis Cup. Matt Zemek loves to refer to it as the PK Cup, given that Gerard PK and his group spearheading this renovated Davis Cup effort. Different format now. We have a big uh, event with group play to determine qualification. It's now two singles rubbers and a doubles rubber. Uh, no longer three out of five sets. It's now two out of three. So a bunch of different changes. One of the other changes, it's not really on TV in the U.S. right now. Kind of hard to find links. It's pay per view subscription, so that's difficult. There's a lot of trial run, uh, a lot of trial and error, given that it's the first year of the event, and I won't lie, did the crowd to the photos I saw, did the crowd look packed? No, not really, but it's year one, and so the reason I want to bring it up before I run through this results, patience people. I know Labor Cup was an instant success, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of strong ties to the former Davis Cup for it because of all of the exceptional tennis it brought us throughout the years. I know many players spoke out against the changing in this format. We've seen different guys drop out of this event as well, but let's give it a chance. Let's let it breathe. Let's see the results. Obviously, we got a Dennis Shapoval 7-6, 6-7, win over Matteo Berrettini fresh off, you know, uh, the next uh, fresh off of the, sorry, the year-end finals for Berrettini for Shapoval coming off of the Paris Masters finals. So great tennis there. There's a lot of tennis to be played, so I don't want to draw any conclusions too soon. But yeah, it's been a troubling start. I mean, there are some things that I can't watch it easily on TV. It makes it more difficult to do a breakdown like this. I know Matt and Jamie will talk about the Davis Cup more tomorrow, and there's been a lot of fun commentary on social media, a lot of fun interviews given, great press results thus far. Uh, there's also this Vera Federer press tour of their exhibition tournaments, which Jamie and Matt may talk about as well. But you'd love to see the matches, and you can look on YouTube. You can find live streams, different things. Of course, it's 2019. You can find a stream if you really look closely, but you'd like to see the basic things covered. And uh, hopefully this will continue to improve. Now, on the tennis front, again, we did have three results today. Canada takes a 2-1 win over Italy. However, Canada won the first two rubbers 2-0 before the third match was played. 
in the results, Vashik Pospisil knocked off Fabio Fagni, 7-6-7-5, continuing his momentum off of that Charlottesville title. He won, I believe, quarterfinals in Knoxville as well. This is indoor tennis here, so he continues to play really well. They're just so hard to break his serve. Even a guy like Fognini has difficulty handling that power Pospisil can bring when he plays his best. The Shapovalov Berrettini, 7-6-6-7-7-6, great tennis, but it continues the, the, to show that Denis Shapovalov is on an upwards twin, uh, trend. And then for Berrettini Fognini. They scrap out a 6-2-3-6-6-3 win over Pospisil and Shapovalov. That come elimination time could be big for them in the group to get that extra rubber. So great result there. Uh, you had another uh, Group D round robin match. Belgium knocked off Colombia 2-1. Same scenario here. Darcy's 6-3-6-2 over Santiago Giraldo. Then Goffin knocked off Daniel Galan 3-6-6-3-6-3. Of course, the number one doubles team in the world, Cabal and Farah, getting a point for Colombia on the board. 6-7, 6-4, 7-6 winners in their doubles match uh, over Guillet and Lijon. I'm per, um, I definitely got those wrong. I apologize for any Belgian tennis fans out there, but a good win for Cabal and Farah. Uh, and then our last result, defending champions Croatia knocked off 3-0 by a dangerous Russia team. Now, Russia no longer has Daniil Medvedev, but the duo of Karen Hachanov and Andrei Rublev, who have played doubles together as well in the past, that's a dangerous duo. Hatchinov not playing his best tennis down the home stretch, but Rublev obviously been playing so well. He knocks off former Wake Forest number one singles player, uh, Borna Gojo, NCAA singles finalist, 6-3-6-3. Hatchinov takes a huge, uh, a much-needed 6-7, 6-4, win over a Borna Chorch in interesting form, to say the least. And then Hatchinov and Rublev get uh, a doubles win to start off their week over Ivan Dodig coming off of the World Tour finals in doubles, and Nikola Metkic, 7-6, 6-4, so good results there. More Davis Cup action coming throughout the week as well. If you look tomorrow in terms of the results on play, I know we've got a couple. I'm not sure the exact matches. Uh, I, I will have to get back to you. I believe day two of Davis Cup. Let's see who we have in this. Hopefully it's on the Davis Cup Twitter account. Uh, I believe tomorrow. Ooh, we actually have a ton of action tomorrow. A bunch of countries getting their Davis Cup play underway. The U.S. taking on Canada, Fritz, Tiafo, Shapovalov, FAA, a lot of young guys. That'll be a fun one. Australia versus Colombia, Spain versus Russia, Kazakhstan versus the Netherlands, Argentina versus Chile, France versus Japan, all of which, again, I'm sure will be talked about on tomorrow night's mini break by Jamie uh, McDonald and Matt Stokoek, so be on the lookout for that. But with that in mind, enough said. Let's get to our college contenders discussion with Matt Stokoek and Chris Halioris discussing the number seven team in last year's season-ending rankings, the UNC Tar Heels. Joining me now on the Mini Break Podcast to continue our College Contender Series as we've been doing these past couple of weeks, looking at last season's year-end rankings to help preview the 2020 men's college tennis season, is a our favorite writer at CrackRackets.com, the writer of the College Contender Series, which you can find on our website, co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break Podcast with James Foster McDonald. I affectionately refer to him as Matt the Cracks the Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. What's up, Groskin? We got a good one today, man. I'm excited. The good news is even as the actual tennis season, not the actual tennis season, but the professional tennis season, that's the word I was looking for, winds down, we still have tennis to talk about. We can always talk a little college tennis. 
Always. I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Oh. Of course, and if we're going to talk college tennis, there's a third member we always like to bring into this podcast. He has been joining us every week. You may know him as the forefather of the collegetennisranks.com formula, predictions that are never far from the listed UTR, and of course, one of the many dames who roots for the Liberty Flames, Chris Halioris. Welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. Wow, there was so much in there. That was unbelievable, Alex. Thanks. (laughs) I said, I promised our listeners I was going to work on it because, Last time it was too sloppy. I'm not going to lie. I wrote these out. I really liked, and I practiced my enunciation beforehand, predictions that are never far, pause, Alex, from the listed UTR. I was like, that applies to, yeah, and that applies to Matt, too. So I may reuse that down the line. (laughs) It's a good one, man. (laughs) Well, yeah, we got to have a little fun to start the podcast. And of course, as I mentioned, the reason we are both on here, or all three of us are on here today, to continue our College Contender series. Before we begin that, Westoff, can I get a College Contender sound effect this week, please? So, Matt, we did a little more of formulaic structure this week. We decided we're going to break this down by category specific, go point by point. And the point I wanted to start with for our listeners, because as they know, so far we have done the TCU Horned Frogs who ended number nine. We have done the Mississippi State Bulldogs, or who, sorry, TCU number 10, uh, Mississippi State number nine. Although we talked about why we think they may be a bit too high this week and we got the um, extraordinary opportunity to talk to their coaches as well. So if you missed that, go check that out on Cracked Interviews. Last week, we broke down the number eight USC Trojans and talked about their team, why they are a sleeper team in this year's rankings with their new head coach, uh, Brett Macy. We learned how to correctly pronounce his name during the interview, and we totally butchered that last week. So we will try, you know, Sam Paul, pretty easy name to pronounce for us. So we won't be doing that this week. But uh, the place I want to start, Matt, with you, with our number eight team, our number eight team. See, I'm already screwed up with three. With our, Westoff, give me a rewind sound effect, please. Let's try that again. With our number seven team this week, Matt, the UNC Tar Heels. For our listeners who don't know how they ended last season, aren't sure what they're looking at, can you give them some background heading into uh, this year's Tar Heels team? Yeah, absolutely. So postseason last year, ACC tournament, they lost a heartbreaker in the semis to uh, your Virginia uh, Cavaliers there, Gruskin. So I'm sure you were you were a little excited about that one, but I was actually at the match. Um, it was a tough loss for UNC, man. I'm not going to lie. They went up 2-0 real quick, got a fast doubles point, and then got a quick win at number two singles. Um, and it looked like they were going to run away with it, but somehow UVA came back. They won four out of the last five and were able to uh, sneak that match out 4-3. Came down to number one singles. Uh, Will Blumberg lost a tough match to Carl Soderlund in the third set. And that was that. And then, you know, they go into NCAAs um, and they had a great run. I mean, they went out to California, beat USC there. And then they get to uh, Florida, take out Ohio State, who was a team that, I mean, a lot of people thought were probably going to win the whole thing. They take them out and then lose another heartbreaker in the semis of the NCAA tournament to Wake Forest, their arch rival. So, um, you know, they had a great run. I mean, they had a fantastic season. It just, it, it ended in a really tough fashion because, I mean, who knows, man, if one of those matches goes the other way, I mean, they could have won the whole thing. If they would have beaten Wake, gotten to that final against Texas, who knows what would have happened? I mean, there, there was a chance that they could have won that. 
You mentioned his name, Will Blumberg. That was a big thing for them last season. He started the year off with an injury. Will, obviously, his freshman year made that NCAA singles final, was so good in their run to the NCAA team final as well at the number two singles spot. I think he lost maybe one match in the dual match season all year long. Um, Obviously, lost that final to Ty Kwiatkowski in the NCAA single final, but you know, as a junior coming into last season, there were expectations, and for him at number one singles, he carried a big load for that team who had young role players in. Uh, you had Josh Peck last year, Ben Seguin, Matt Kiger, Brian Cernock, uh, but a team that had a little bit of more experience than the year before. They did have a senior in the bottom of the lineup in Bo Boyden, who put together a 13-2 and year at number five singles, was instrumental in their run at NCAAs. Of course, Blumberg and Boyden in double as well at the number one spot. They finished the year uh, a combined 18-5, and 15-4 in the number one position. Kiger and Sodengard last year, 20-2, and two, so they had a bunch of success there. 13-0 at home, and 0 at home is always something you aspire to do, protect your home court. So they had a ton of success. And then, you know, you look at uh, the question number two for them moving forward, and talking about the roster, that's the thing that's most encouraging, right, Chris? It's that, yes, they lose Boyden, but they bring back everyone else. They bring back Blumberg, who in theory as a senior should be at the peak of his power, so though we'll talk about whether that is or is not true in a little bit, but they also bring back the depth in the Seguin, in the Peck, in the Cernok, in the Kiger. Everyone's just a year older and a year better, plus you have new additions, Chris, that I know you are excited about for this roster. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and we got a you know we got a roster full of of, of Williams and, and Ben's and Josh's. So why not go to New Zealand and get a rinky? I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, that, I mean that's that's a huge addition for for them. So yeah, effectively, you know, from from what it would appear on the surface, you you drop Boyden from the lineup, you add Rinky, uh, who's going to play higher than Bo was playing almost undoubtedly. Uh, and everybody else is a year older, it's got to be an upgrade to the team overall. And there aren't that many teams uh, that are actually stronger, uh, you know, this year than they were last. There are a few, but, but I think that, I mean, it's, things are looking good for them. A lot of it, you know, we saw, as you've alluded to, you know, we haven't, we've seen very little since last May of Will Blumberg, uh, you know, so can he stay injury free and, and healthy? That's going to be a big key, but if he can, yeah, this this is uh, this team's got a shot to go all the way. And again, I want to do the Blumberg piece separately, but looking at the rest of the returning talent and what they've been up to, for Ben Seguin right now, who's sitting at number 618 in the ATP rankings, went 13-11 and 11 over this past year. Had uh, He's playing in East Lansing this weekend, might get the chance to see him, but had you know a, a bunch of success on the Futures circuit, on the Challenger circuit. He made a round of 16 in Columbus before losing to Ty Kwiatkowski. Seems to be a theme amongst this roster. Sorry, had to throw in a Virginia shot made the round of 16 in Lexington, but guess who he lost to? J.C. Aragoni. But still, that sort of jump from a player as they move forward uh, later into their college career. And I believe for Seguin, you look at him in terms of the roster. He's now an upperclassman. He's a junior. So you want him to be playing his best tennis, and he seems to have taken a step forward this summer. Uh, well, t- But in terms of the newcomers, yeah, 
Rinky's the guy to circle. You look at what he's done, his pedigree. This is a guy who reached number nine in the ITF junior rankings earlier this year. He won a futures title in Fayetteville, the first of his career. He's sitting right now at number 746 in the ATP singles rankings, Uh, has played some other pro events scattered throughout uh, the fall, but a big win for him in Waco. He knocked off defending NCAA singles champion and South Carolina senior Paul Jubb in three sets. So just throughout this lineup, it's not only that the returning talent has taken a jump forward, but when you add a piece like Rinky into a solid, you know, you have a solid foundation of top four in that you know Cernok, Peck, Blumberg, and Seguin will all be playing in the lineup this year. Rinky will as well. Matt, to have five players to go into the season, that means something. Yeah, well, and they really have six. I mean, to me, Kyger is the kind of guy that you want to play number six. I mean, he doesn't have a power game. He's a smaller guy. Um, But he's got variety. I mean, he uses his slice backhand. His hands are really good at the net. Um, A a different kind of player that can cause problems at number six. So I really like him in that spot. I think he can win a ton of matches. And like you mentioned, Alex, I mean, Rinky's going to come in, I think, and just uh, pass Peck up. So I think Josh Peck is going to slide down in the lineup. I've got him at five. Um, And whether Rinky plays three or four, um, you know, I think him and Brian Cernok, that's they're going to be numbers three and four in some order. I don't know how that's going to start off, um, but I, I love those two at number three and four. And then obviously a healthy Blumberg and Ben Seguin at one and two. I mean, to me, that's by far one of the most talented one-two combos in the country. I mean, you can put them up there with the Holtz and Kukermans, with the Edos and Sigsgards. I mean, those kind of teams... Um, when Blumberg and Seguin are right, man, they're right up there. So this, to me, is a lineup that, if they're healthy, doesn't really have any deficiencies. I mean, I look at that and I go, where are they weak? Not really anywhere, in my opinion. I think they're strong throughout. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Your mention of their projected lineups is a question I forgot to add, so just so you both know, we're throwing that in the list. That's going to be number four, Uh, but I'm glad you bring up Kyger. That's a guy I purposefully did not mention because with all these new additions, with all of the returning talent, we have had the chance to see some of them play, obviously, in the fall uh, in terms of college matches, and I'm curious what you think, Chris, of those fall results. Did you see any doubles pairings? We know in Will Blumberg, that's a guy, it doesn't matter who you pair him with, he's going to have success on the double court he has his whole career um but there's a lot of you know rearranging to do in the lineup doubles wise and you know in the bottom of the singles lineup as well you wonder what are, what is coach Sam Paul going to do at five six singles especially when you've got a couple of different people to play with that's something we'll hopefully talk to him about when we interview him later in the week but given what you've seen this fall Chris where are you looking in terms of this lineup I'm right there with exactly what uh, what Matt said. I think you were going to see, obviously, you got Blumberg and Seguin, one, two. I think we, we see Rinky, three, Cernok, four, Peck, five. And then just like it was last year, in and out every week between Sondergaard and Kiger at six. That's so interesting. The idea of Josh Peck, 
who I mean, for our listeners who don't know, correct, Josh Peck is 6'5", right? He's big. A 6'5", senior yeah. at number five. It's reminiscent of when Cressy a couple years ago was at five for UCLA, right? You just, at that point, you know, obviously the names at the top of the lineup, one, two singles, are getting, a, a, will always get a lot of attention. But, you know, championships are won at the bottom of the lineup. Championship are won with solid doubles points. And when you look at the options for four and five, even three, four, and five in uh, Ranky, Peck, and Cernok, whatever order they end up, because last year it's not as though Cernok and Peck struggled at the three and four position. For Cernok, he goes six and two at three, eight and three at four. For Josh Peck, he went three and one at two, eight and six at three, three and one at four. These guys have had the pedigree to succeed, and it hurts when you lose a Bo Boyden, who is so good during the dual match season at number five. But like, if you're saying, well, don't worry, we're replacing him with Josh Peck, Coach Paul can objectively look at that and say, given the success he's had, that may be a win for the Tar Heels. And so, Matt, you know, with that in mind, I guess you sort of said your point to Kiger at six as well, but do you think, given... Uh, the the pushback in the doubles lineup for or in the singles lineup for Peck that factors into Coach Paul's doubles arrangements at all. Maybe he wants a guy like Peck to play one doubles to get that topper line exposure so that he feels good about himself. How do you think that factors in? What's the way you see these doubles lineups breaking out? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, because Peck has been a guy that actually hasn't played a lot of doubles throughout his career, even though he's huge. He's 6'5". This guy's a monster. He hasn't seen the doubles lineup often. And if we go back to last year, um, and even in the fall this year, uh, Sundergaard and Kiger have been an outstanding team together. They played number three last year, and they won almost every match, it seemed like. They were unstoppable at number three, and then they've had a phenomenal fall just to add to that, 20-2, and 17-2 at line three during the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we know what they can do um, as, a, as a team. And then uh, Seguin and Cernok played quite a bit last year at number two. Obviously, Blumberg and Boyden at one. So, I just, I don't know if Josh Peck is going to slide in there with, with Blum at number one or if Rinky's going to be in there. I mean... If we go if we go based off the past, Josh Peck may not see the doubles lineup and you know, Coach Sam Paul is gonna want him to focus on singles because like you mentioned, if he's sliding down to that number five position, he could be a crucial piece to this team. I mean, if he can win almost all of his matches down there at five, I mean, that could just pay off so much. So there, there's a scenario where I see Josh Peck uh, only playing singles like he's been for the past couple of years. Ask Coach Tucker what he did in the you know early 2010s when he had guys like Rolla and Buchanan or Metka and Rolla or Metka and Cobelt, and he split them up for the sake of the lineup. And yeah, Kyger and Sondergaard, I'm glad you mentioned that they were so good last season. Uh, but Blumberg needs a new partner. Cernok and Seguin, 10-7 and 7 overall. That's good. That's not great. That's certainly something you're willing to play with. And you're right. Josh Peck last season played three doubles matches during the dual season. That for someone who's 6'5", that's just unexpected, and you have to imagine as a senior, he, he wants to do as much as he can in his last season, I'm sure. He would embrace the idea of a role in doubles, but again, Chris, given what you've seen fall results-wise, is there anything, you know, any hints of what we might be seeing from the Tar Heels in the doubles lineup uh, come match, dual match season? Yeah, I, I'm not sure we see Peck, to, to Matt's point and to your point, yeah, not only did he only play three doubles matches last year in the ACC, but they were Virginia Tech, Boston College, and Louisville. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
he was he was getting action just to get action when the you know when when the competition wasn't was not exactly there. I I think he did he has played some earlier this year uh, with Cer- he and Cernok played some together. So I think you know, clearly the coach is looking there to see if if those two guys uh, can mesh. They played at that South Carolina uh, in their their rank plus one with with Cernok, um, not not great. Uh, results there. They split a couple matches. Uh, they lost to to the couple from Tennessee. Beat beat my Liberty Flames, right? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, his, the results haven't been there for him. He actually played with Kiger at the Carry Challenger, and they they lost, but played a really good match uh, against a couple of, of, of veterans on, uh, of the the future kind of the futures and Challenger tour. So. Uh, but you know that may speak more to the fact that you know Kiger's is super solid at, at dubs. But yeah, I don't know. I think the the real question is, I don't see splitting up Kiger and Sondergaard. I mean, they they they're so good together. I think you've got to leave those guys together. And who knows? May, can you imagine maybe with an uncertainty of who Will's playing with, they move those guys to one and Blumberg doesn't play one dubs? That would be a. I mean, <laughs> it could happen and. Until the indoors, when it gets challenged immediately, and they're like, "You just you can't do that." Yeah, but uh, I think that's uh, you know, I I, I think may, maybe we will see you know take take what you think are your your two best teams, and you're still with the quality you've got at three. Maybe you play Blumberg and Seguin together, and then Sondergaard and Kiger, and then whoever you know whoever's going to fill in the next two spots at three dubs, and uh, and you're probably still going to get. 80 plus percent of your doubles points yeah i mean and again this it's i think now would be the perfect time to address the blumberg question because we've talked about how talented the rest of the roster is two through five i'm i don't know if josh peck and cernock would be playing one singles at every university but i'm certain that rinky i'm certain that seguin uh would could would and could be playing number one singles at many of the schools uh who are at the top of the men's college tennis game and you know, the fact that they aren't is a testament to Will Blumberg's success. And for listen, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're well aware of what Will Blumberg has done over the past couple of years. But this is a guy who's been ranked as high as number 440 in the ATP World Rankings. He's been ranked as number one, as high as number one in both singles and doubles in the NCAA individual rankings. He won the 2017 ITA Men's All-American Singles Champ. Uh, again, he was this runner-up in the 2017 NCAA tournament, but the most outstanding player of the 2017. NCAA team event. I mean, this is a guy who has done it all throughout his uh, college career thus far, and yet injuries plagued him for a lot of last season. Again, dual match wise, seven and seven. Now, a lot of that is him battling and being unfinished. And, uh, you know, there was the match at the indoors, Chris, we were at against Wake Forest. Him being up on Gojo early on, he didn't win the match. But him being up, given how good Carolina was at four, you know, three, four, five singles last year, which was Wake Forest's weaknesses. Well, not three, but four and five. It it made it feel as though North Carolina had a chance in the match. They, he His fight gave them fighting chances in a ton of matches, just him staying alive, him giving them that courage at the top of the line, knowing, oh, well, it's all right. We got Will battling up there. He's as good as anyone. And yet you look at him coming into this senior year, you know, I saw him win a qualifying match, but he lost to Evan Song in Champagne. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't love what I saw, but still for them, that's the question, right? Is Will probably starts the year at one, 
But like, given how talented everyone else is, given that Will being a senior, you don't want to burn him out because he does have so much tennis under his belt. Could we potentially see Chris Will not not only not lining up at one doubles, but potentially not lining up at one singles at some point this year? Well, I I think there's probably no doubt you're going to see him not lining up at one singles for a fair number of matches, not because he's been relegated to you know number two, but because he's just taken the day off. Uh, I mean, there's not nothing from the past couple seasons has led me to believe that he's going to be in there every single match. I'm sure he's going to need some time off. He didn't, you know, he played almost nothing uh, since NCAA's until this until the challenger that you mentioned. Uh, where he won his qualifier, lost to Evan Song. Evan Song, the uh, the top two top, top two uh, lineup uh, spot killer for for UNC, as he also beat Seguin in a in a, a tournament earlier, <laughs> a couple maybe a month or so back, right? Uh, but uh, and and poor Ben, as you as you shove your UVA who's down his throat, uh, <laughs> I, I'll have to say, yeah, I've got your back, Ben. Even though Gruskin brought up the fact that you lost to Aragoni, like the next tournament you beat Aragoni. So, <laughs> hey, Ben Seguin, a very fun, cracked interviews guest. So I'm not trying to rag on him. Big fan of his. Yeah, but no, I, yeah, I think it's very. I mean, I, I, I would expect to see Blumberg basically, you know, play, maybe not to the level that we saw Goyo last year, uh, and for probably different reasons. But I would expect to see him playing the crucial matches and the you know and maybe the matches where you know it would appear that they ought to be able to be fine without him you know maybe he's resting uh and and that's kind of what you know i have no personal knowledge there but that's just kind of what i'm expecting to see going into the years i'm still i'm expecting to see him get some time off and try to be fully healthy when it comes time for the NCAA tournament run, because, you know, last year in their, in their tournament run, he just, you know, I'm, I'm sure it all adds up uh, by the end of the year. And he finishes the year with the loss to Soderlin in the ACC tournament, and then comes out and loses to JJ Wolf and loses. uh, Yeah. What, what I can't even remember what that other, it was his last three matches. Right. Uh, uh, And I, I just don't know. I don't know that, uh, you know, that he's going to, he needs to be fully healthy and ready for that tournament run. So I think they get him every chance to, to be that, whatever it takes. If it's, if it takes playing, then that's what he'll do. But if it's, if it's something that he just needs to not pound on, uh, then I think that he'll, he'll take his time off. Oh, it was Goyo and, the other one. Yeah. And to clarify last year with Goyo, it was, uh, that he was playing pro tournaments. That's why he was away. Uh, Matt, I, I want to shift this to you because you've been up close. You've seen it all. And I don't think Chris nor I, and I think I can speak for you here, Chris, are by any means trying to question Will Blumberg's competitive spirit, trying to question whether he loves college tennis, loves competing as a UNC Tar Heel. Because just watch the film over the past three years. He battled injuries all season long last year, played through it all, put his Tar Heels in a position to where, you know, this is a program who had never made the finals before uh, he joined the program. Program, and now they've gone, you know, finals, and then they make the semifinals last year uh, for a team that had struggled all year long, despite the talent they had, and that's a testament to him fighting through injuries, weathering the storm at number one, so that a guy like Cernak can go seventeen and six throughout the dual match season, a guy like Boyden can go twenty-two and three, Seguin can go fifteen and six. They don't all have to play a spot up, 
But again, Matt, you've seen it all in person. You saw him struggle last season. Given the talent they have at this, their disposal, would it shock you to see them, you know, rest Blumberg, keep him as the, you know, the the secret weapon in the chamber, try to keep it as healthy as possible for the NCAA tournament? No, not at all. I think they're going to be smart about it. That that coaching staff is is really really good, and they're going to manage it properly. Um, but the 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 answer is if he's in the lineup he's playing one there's no question about that he will never play two or lower in that lineup so if he's on the court he's on court number one that you can take to the bank Um, but I do agree with Chris and I think that they will rest him in certain matches that they know they can get through without him um, and and manage that properly because he to me he is such a crucial piece of this team and then they need him in May, in that stretch run, they will absolutely need him, um, and and I think he will be. I, th- I think he's going to be healthy. We know that he wasn't last year. I think they're going to take care of him well, and I'm expecting him to come through uh, in some big-time matches this season. I am. You talk about needing him in May. Uh, the next point I want to talk about, because there's a lot of tennis to get through before May. Obviously, we saw him last year injured, but playing at the indoors, and it helped their efforts. Uh, there's also a full ACC season to get through in North Carolina, the first ACC team we're going to talk about, although I'm sure we've mentioned uh, ACC tennis before. I can't go podcast without talking about Virginia, so obviously we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, but Matt, you look at them in terms of how they project in the ACC and assuming Nakashima leaves Virginia which isn't a hundred percent guaranteed but I'm willing to put in the 99.9 percent there's still that one point point one percent error but he had the the fall results he needed he's ready to go pro uh so that hurts a Virginia team that would have had him and Soderlund one of the top one twos in the country allows them to compete with anyone on any given day um but that's gone you look, you know, there are other teams in the ACC, obviously, there are the Notre Dames of the world we saw uh, the fall, they've had uh, some of their players, uh, there are other teams as well, the Dukes of the world, as you love, the NC States, which bring back a good team, obviously, the big one I haven't mentioned yet, Wake Forest, this is your conference, where do you see UNC stacking up in it? Oh, they're at the top, no question, they're the best team in this conference, and like you mentioned, I am not expecting Brandon Nakashima to return, he will not be playing for Virginia, I just, I don't see a a scenario where that happens, Um, so I'm going to count him out, and that that definitely knocks UVA down a little bit, I think Wake is probably the the, the next closest team, I mean, I know they lost a lot, obviously, we'll talk about them here in a few weeks, um, but man, Wake Forest did lose some some key players, which we all know about. So that will sting. But Tony Bresky, man, I mean, this guy's as good as it gets as a coach. So he's going to have his team up there. They're going to they're going to battle. Um, but as far as overall roster, man, and, and talent, to me, North Carolina is at the very top. They are the favorite in the ACC, no question in my mind. Predictions never far from the UTR, Chris. In your opinion. Is the gap bigger between UNC and the number two team, which Matt, and I think that's fair to presuppose given what they've done, says is Wake Forest? Uh, is the gap bigger between North Carolina and Wake, 
or Wake and whoever you have numbers three, four, and five in the ACC. Because if the gap is big enough to where UNC, not only can they afford to rest Blumberg, but even if they suffer a loss, the idea that maybe the other teams will beat each other up so they can get away with maybe even one bad loss. Uh, how do you see this UNC in terms of the gap towards the rest of the conference? Because I agree with Matt that on paper, this is the team. Yeah, I think it, it's if Nakashima was back, then I'd say, uh, you know, it, there might be a different answer to the question. I think the gap is uh, bec- because then the difference, the, the drop from two to three would yeah. be, would be vi- is large. It's it's very close if Nakashima is there. If there's no Nakashima, two to three is about the same drop as it is one to two. There's a good drop from Carolina to Wake right now. Carolina, a clear favorite. Wake to Virginia with Nakashima is right there with Wake. Without Nakashima, they're as far behind Wake as Wake is behind Carolina. Matt, would you agree with that? Completely Completely agree with that. that. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is this year the ACC – you know, in its prime, that 2017 season, that was UVA versus UNC in the final. They also had the number one seed in the tournament that year, Wake Forest. When you have three teams that good in conference, we see it with USC, UCLA every year. We saw last year with Texas, TCU, Baylor, uh, you know, Florida, Mississippi State. You propel one another. You could argue some of the reasons Ohio State struggles in May, and this is going to diss my own Wolverines, and all due respect to the Illinois team, which I think can be really good this year, especially given what we saw from them at the Champagne Challenger. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, but Ohio State doesn't have the conference challenges that some of these other schools do, and you have to wonder if, you know, I'm not saying UVA, Wake Forest are going to have a major drop-off. They're still top 15, top 10 schools, maybe in contention for hosting that round of 16 match, but UNC is a definitive number one in my opinion, and I, I think you guys agree as well. So then with that in mind, how they stack up with the conference, I guess the place we have to end this, we'll start with you, Matt. How do you see this UNC team in the national landscape? Yeah, no, I, I love them. I mean, I think they have the ability to be the best team in the country. I really do. When you look at that roster, the, the amount of talent and just experience, I mean, we're talking seniors and juniors, upperclassmen, guys that have been there before. They've made runs deep in May, um, you know, just last year to the Final Four. When you've got guys like Blumberg, Seguin, Cernok, I mean, Rinky as a freshman is going to be one of the top freshmen in the country. Um, and then, you know, Josh Peck, Matt Kiger, Sondergaard. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches. I think they're deep. I think they're talented. I think they go all the way. Last year, look, I picked an SEC team. We all know that. I was riding with the SEC in Florida. Um, I- I'm, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to go with the ACC, my conference, and... Of course, assuming health, like Chris always says, it's it's always going to come down to health. I'm going to assume that Carolina stays healthy, that Blumberg will be there for the stretch run, and he's going to play well. Um, I've got UNC winning the whole thing. It's so interesting, Chris, because you look over the past couple of years and Mississippi State's up there, Ohio State's up there, Virginia's obviously up there minus the one-year gap, but this U- and Wake Forest, I should say, but this UNC team's been as consistent as any program over the past couple of years, and it's been Will Blumberg, you know, Josh Peck, that senior class spearheading that effort. That, you know, the Ronnie Schneider recruiting class with him, Schnur, Jack, 
uh, through to the Blumberg recruiting class has really what built this North Carolina team in the 2010s decade. And so, you know, a fun bonus question I'll have for you guys at the end is more likely to win the title this year, the UNC men or the UNC women, because the UNC women are freaking stacked. Uh, but Chris, this is a team that's proven its postseason chops. They have players on the roster who have played in a final match. In Will Blumberg, you have an NCAA tournament most valuable player. Uh, last season, all of these players who are returning, except for Rinky, got a taste of what semifinal NCAA action looks like. Uh, this is a team that went to USC, hostile round of 16 match, didn't phase them. Number one seed, Ohio State, hadn't lost a match without with uh, J.J. Wolf in the lineup. They beat them, doesn't phase them. On paper, they check out all. The, they check off all of the boxes, and then they have those intangible things as well going for them. You love USC. I'm sure you love Florida. Your running joke has been, "Congratulations, Wisconsin! You are X amount of days away from playing Florida in the first round of the national indoors." <laughs> and it's a great joke. That's why I'm repeating it now. But this UNC team on paper has a lot, and we'll talk about Florida when we talk about Florida. We'll talk about a lot of other teams. But this team certainly has a claim at the national title. Matt's right, correct? Oh, absolutely. They they have a claim. I mean, I think you have to look. You have to probably think between Florida, North Carolina, and USC that in in some way those are you know heading into the year in whatever order you want to take them. Those are probably your top three teams. Wow, that's a now, lot of. Now I'm not going with Matt. See, I, I, I you guys were a year early. I'll go with my Gators this year. (laughs) I'm not making that mistake again, Chris. I took them last year. I refuse. I refuse. I'm not doing it again. Yes. Well, in all honesty, here's what I think. Here's my fear though. Right. So I I think if you could, if you could put the best version of the guys on that team out every day, I think North Carolina probably goes, but I've watched every year that come down to the end and, you know, and I love Will Blumberg, but I want even the year that went when I watched him at individuals, right? Take out Nuno in the semis and get to play uh, Kwiatkowski in the, in the finals. Um, you know, he was he, he was hurting a forearm then. And last year with against JJ, it, w- it was the leg. It's there's there's always something there. And when you get down to that to that team atmosphere and you're playing every day back to back to back, uh, you know, I I don't know. I'm just not sold. If he's perfectly healthy and he's 100%, yeah, they're tough. Am I banking on it? No. That's fair. I think them, like USC, like Florida, what works for them and why they have, uh, why they're the initial contenders, those three teams in a group, is because there's a margin for error, right? Should Blumberg miss part of the season, everyone steps up a spot. You have Kiger stepping in at five or Sondergaard at five and the other at six. That's a very feasible, viable lineup. And USC can do that. Uh, Florida can do that. And that's what distinguishes them as the best teams is they have the top-end talent, but also the depth. And again, injuries will always play a factor, but that depth is so crucial. So when you look at the the pedigree in the postseason of this team, in terms of floor, yeah, NCAA quarterfinals for sure. If this team has to go on the road for a round of 16 match this year again, something went horribly wrong. Uh, If the seeds break right, you know, you want to be the one seed, ideally, at least in the preseason, although maybe Chris would say, no, you don't want to play TCU, but you really don't want to be the two of three of USC, Florida, and UNC who play each other in the semifinals. So there's the question for Coach Paul of how much do you put on Blumberg to lock up that number one overall ranking, lock up that number one overall seed. 
need if it's in play versus taking the long picture, not you know wearing guys out too soon because it is such a long season. But yeah, this team's really good. Um, well, you know, to, to that point though, Alex, to, to to get that number one seed, if it's a lot of now, a lot of that comes down to who you're playing. You got to have the opportunity to play the good teams, but but all those points are gathered in the big wins, and so the first chance you're going to get right off the bat is going to be indoors. So can if he could be healthy for three matches at indoors, possibly four, right? If they go all the way to the final, uh, and the team gets you know, two or three super high quality top 10 wins, uh, then that sets him up and he's going to have plenty of opportunity during the ACC season to get time off. I, I mean, there are, there are a lot of matches in there where they're not going to have to play him. So, oh. so it's really a matter of start off strong. They're, they're going to cakewalk through uh, their hosting to get to indoors. I mean, it's, I don't even remember what it is. It's like Georgia state Elon and somebody, uh, I don't even know. Um, and so they'll cakewalk into the indoors. Then can they do it in indoors, uh, and, and then follow it up and, and win the big matches in the ACC. And if they can do that, sure. They might have a shot at that, at that number one seed. Uh, and, and it's not, there's really not a lot of pr- probably not a lot of decision-making in, into, Hey, do we, you know, do we need to play will to ch- try to do that? They're going to ha- they're going to need to play will in the big matches, no matter what. Well, let me just say this, and I can speak on behalf of Max Rothman as two Jewish tennis players who played our absolute best tennis at uh, the Nielsen Tennis Center in Madison, Wisconsin for our club tennis regionals. We never lost in that Madison arena. Uh, It's a place where Jewish tennis players can thrive. Will Blumberg, Jewish tennis player. I see a scenario where he comes out and just dominates in Madison. It's the perfect indoor facility for us uh, northern kids. He's a Connecticuter. Uh, We get how to play indoor tennis, so I, I look for him to make a breakout there, and you're right. That indoor championship is going to be so important this year because unlike the past couple of years, although last year I suppose was more similar to this year, but there's no absolute prohibitive favorite. And I'm probably with you, Chris, right now. I'm leaning towards picking Florida, um, but this UNC team is right up there in the conversation. And would it shock me if by the start of you know January, start of the dual match season, I switch my pick to them? Absolutely not. It just depends more and more on what we hear about this team, how Rinky adapts, what the doubles look like, all these things we've discussed moving forward. But final question for you guys. Again, most more likely to win, UNC men or women? Matt, you go first. Probably the women, man, honestly. I mean, they're just, they're loaded. That's that's scary right there. So, I mean, I look, both teams are going to be awesome, elite top teams in the country. But if, if I had to say who's more likely to win, I mean, I guess I'd go with the women. Graham Jones and Davitella is a nasty top yeah, three. Chris. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. So what are you leaning? Man, I, I mean, it's almost a, it's a, I suppose maybe there's just maybe it's a little easier road for the women, but both. I mean, you got you still got a lot of competition either way up top. I, I I suppose a slight edge maybe to the women just because we know USC and and Florida and a couple others that could jump up right are so strong and 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 on the women maybe not quite as many contenders to deal with uh, on the ladies side so so maybe they've got a little better shot at it but it, it's not easy on either side yeah. 
see a uh, typical cop out from Chris. Um, no UTR there to help him with that prediction. But I, sorry, Chris, I can't help it. It's the end of the pot. I get chippy. Um, I see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the counterpoint here. I'm gonna take the men. And I've said all season I'm going to respect the defending champion Texas men's Longhorn team because they are the defending champions. And even though the you know they lost so much of their lineup, that's the difference, right? Is that they lost three through six, so they don't have that returning experience. And uh, I know this team undergoes changes on a year by year basis, but until you beat the defending champion Stanford Cardinals in May, you're not the champion. They're the champions, and Stanford has been that good over the past decade. So I'm going to say the men have more of a chance because for Florida, still a young team. They made the semis, but they really haven't won anything big yet. They won the regular season, but not the SEC postseason tournament. So got to win a tournament to prove it. This at UNC team They've done some winning. They've competed in an NCAA final, and that means something. So I would lean slightly towards the men. But with that in mind, Matt, I want to go to you first. Any final thoughts? I don't know, man. I, at, at this point in the season right now, I'm going to go with UNC as my title favorite. Um, like I said, I'm not making the mistake again. I rode with Florida all year last year. and, huh, and look You at, did. Look, to your credit, you really did. I did, and look at what happened. The year before that, I was on Wake Forest the entire year, and they won the thing. So I'm sticking <laughs> with the ACC. I'm going with what I know. Give me Carolina, but it, it's going to be tough. It'll be a fun season, no doubt. Yeah, you know, Matt, in 2018, you were really the only one who was picking Wake Forest all year long. Well, no that, one was e- else. that was easy, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like saying, hey, I think Steve Johnson's team is going to win. I just yeah. have this inclination, this feeling. But, yeah, Chris, same thing to you. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I think I, I'm excited to see. I'm, ho- I'm really hoping that Will is, is healthy because it's, all, it's so fun to watch him play uh, and, and hit forehands and take the ball early. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them. And I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to beat them because they don't see Will at his best. If you're going to beat him, I want him at his best. Yeah, completely agree with that sentiment. And unfortunately, unlike the past two weeks, we have not yet had the chance to sit down and chat with Coach Paul. But we will have that opportunity later in the week. So be on the lookout for that to be released on Cracked Interviews. We'll ask him about Will. We'll ask him about what it's like with a team with a bunch of returners, balancing the lineup choices, balancing the choices between rest and chasing that number one seed, all of those things later in the week. And again, this uh, podcast is uh, an offspring of Matt's College Contender Series on our website, CrackedRackets.com. So if you want to learn anything else about the Tar Heels, look out for that podcast and go read Matt's article on our website. Best of the Decade Series on the Great Shot Podcast coming back this week. I believe we're doing the best matches of the 2010s. Let me tell you, I have looked through too many matches. I've lost count, but it's like, uh, I don't know, something like 130 tournaments from this decade plus. So I promise you there there's some fun ones that we found from those gems. So that'll be a fun podcast. And of course, uh, for the more immediate updates, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the accounts are at Cracked Rackets. Uh, huge shout out to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who, as always, have a f***ing editing job to do and continue to uh, constantly churn out the content nonstop. So a huge thank you to them. But for my lovely co-hosts, Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halioris, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Matt, Chris, what do we tell our listeners? That's a great break. break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.